I love the phrase, you can't fix stupid, right? It's such a great line, right? It's so true, right? People around us make these stupid, boneheaded decisions that for the life of me, I can't change it or fix it or understand it. When the people we love make stupid, boneheaded decisions, it gets awkward, right? People in our family, people in our circles of friends, they make stupid bonehead. And what happens if it moves to people we love, people we know, make stupid, sinful decisions? That gets real awkward, real fast. And when I mean by sinful, I mean like when people we love make decisions to do things that are illegal. When people we know and love, family and friends, do things we know that cut against the grain of what God's expectations are, they break God's law, it gets real awkward real fast with the people we love. And sometimes it looks like making stupid, sinful choices in relationships, with substances, with sex, with lying, with cheating, with hurting people. I mean, these things bring great pain and great problems into families and make things really, really awkward. Have you been in an awkward situation where someone you love continues to make stupid, sinful, wrong choices? It's hard. I mean, what helps me is, is just this little thought that, that when people are lost, that's when people make stupid, sinful decisions. When people are lost, and as humans, it's easy for us to get lost. It's easy for us to wander and to struggle. And just like driving a car, it's easy to get lost. And when I get myself lost, sometimes I don't even know I'm lost. And if I realize I'm lost, I try to solve it myself. And usually when I try to solve it myself, I get myself more lost. And if I get myself more lost and try to solve it myself, I have a hard time asking someone for help or for directions. And it gets real awkward real fast when the people we love are lost. And if they're lost and they know Jesus and they have a relationship with Christ, then maybe I could use God or God's truth or God's standards to help someone I love get unstuck, unlost. But what happens if someone I love is lost and they don't believe in God? They don't understand the truth of the Bible. You love God and you love the Bible, but, but your friend, your loved one, your family member, they're lost. They're making stupid, sinful choices, but maybe they're just going with the flow the way our whole world goes. And they're just doing their thing. And it's what everybody else is doing. And they're going, who's God? What do I care about his standard or his truth? It doesn't matter to me. But you know that the decisions they're making are sinful and wrong and they're going to bring destruction and pain into their lives. What do you do when the people you love are lost? And what's interesting about being lost, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, sin blinds us. When we get stuck in our lost, It blinds us to what is true and it hardens us. When we keep doing wrong, sinful things, it hardens us and we get more lost and we get more lost and things get more dark and more difficult and more difficult to ask for help. More difficult to raise my hand and say, I'm lost, I'm stuck. I'm not sure what to do. How do I get out of this mess? And I find myself and the people I love 
spiraling down in lost. Listen, you can't fix stupid, but you can love the lost. I mean, this is so important because I try to understand why the people I love, why I myself and why the people I love get stuck in sinful patterns. And I find that that it's lostness and I realize that it's a terrible feeling to feel lost and I do to things when I'm lost that are stupid and so I can understand it and it helps me to give patience because love is the environment where the lost are found. Love is the environment where those who are stuck in darkness come into light. It's love. It's love. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, well, listen, my family and friends might be making stupid choices, but who am I to say they're sinful? Who am I to say what they're doing is sinful? Who am I to judge, right? I I know what I believe, but you believe what you believe. And who am I to say what you believe is wrong and what I believe is right? I mean, I kind of don't want to touch that. I get it. And we sort of back away. I also know there's some people listening to this who go, you're right, pastor, you're right. There's some people in my family life that are doing unholy, ungodly, dishonorable things that just disgust me. Their behavior is repulsive. I don't want to be seen with them. I don't want to know them. I certainly won't give them the time of day. I don't want to be around them because I wouldn't want them or anybody else to think that I approve of this disgusting behavior. And we find ourselves with family that we love and people that we know who are stuck in choices, stuck in sin, either dismissing it and going, ah, it's not my problem, you do you, or disgusted, gross. Imagine if Jesus said, your sin, Joe, is not my problem. Where would I be? Or if Jesus was disgusted by my behavior, where would I be? While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, which means love is the condition that leads the lost to life and out of darkness and out of stuck into health. It's Jesus' love that creates this environment for me to know how much I need God, how much I need forgiveness, how much I need his truth, how much I need his hope. And that's what leads me to eternal life with God forever. But it's also what leads me to health in the here and now. It's not just about heaven. It's about now. And the pain and the destruction that I can bring on myself and my family and friends bring on themselves. It's love that leads us. And I know most of you go, I I get it. I I believe you're right, Joe. I agree with you. But how the heck do we do it? When someone I love is making stupid, sinful choices over and over again, and maybe they're a Christian and maybe they're not a Christian, but they're stuck, and I don't know how to handle it, what do I do? What we do is we run to God for help, so let's start there. Would you pray with me? God, all of us have been in situations and maybe in situations right now where personally we're stuck in sin or those we love are stuck in sin. Some of them may be followers of Christ, and some of them may not be, but we know what it feels like to be lost, and we know that our friends and family are lost. So help us, Holy Spirit, to know how to love and to engage. Use these short minutes to help us lean into the awkward and the uncomfortable of family and friends who are stuck and lost in sinful decisions. I count on you, Christ, to do what only you can do. 
I pray this in your name. Amen. Before we answer how do we love the lost, you might want to throw up another red flag. You might say, well, why can't I just leave well enough alone? Why can't I live and let live? I mean, honestly, you know, Jesus is my way, but there's lots of ways. And if someone else finds another way to peace and joy, and if they don't think what they're doing is sinful or stupid, like, let them be. Like, kind of que sera, sera, right? Whatever will be, will be. Do you, and I'll do me, and let's just keep it that way. Why can't I just leave well enough alone? Because honestly, leaning into love and caring about people, it's just easier to look the other way and give myself the pass And take the easy road out, which is all well and good if you're not reading your Bible. Because the description of God's character in the Bible doesn't allow me to do nothing and say live and let live. Listen to a couple passages. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet God does not leave the guilty unpunished. The prophet Nahum chapter one, verse three says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The prophet Isaiah Chapter 8, verse 13. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. It's easy to think if someone's lost, that's their problem. Who cares? The answer is God cares. God cares. And he is loving and holy and just. I Count on the fact that Jesus is slow to anger and abounding in love and patient and gracious in all his ways, but he's also holy, he's also perfect, he's also pure, and he lays out his standards for us in his word, in the Bible, and all of us fall short of those standards, none of us match it, but I count on God's justice in every area of life, including in my behavior and in your behavior, that God just can't look the other way. He can't go, well, that's kind of cute what you're doing, even though it goes against everything I said is right and true. I'm not going to look the other way, God says. He's just, and we're all sinful, and we all deserve his wrath. And just in case you you think that maybe this is sort of the Old Testament view of God, but we get something better from Jesus, listen to Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. He, He makes this profound statement. He says to people, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is pointing to the holiness and the justice of God, that what's at stake in our lives isn't just we just get to do whatever we feel like. No, when Christians make sinful decisions, boneheaded decisions that are wrong, it's a big deal because God is loving and just. When non-Christians make boneheaded, stupid, sinful decisions, it's a big deal because God is loving and just. And being lost here on earth can lead, the Bible teaches, to being lost forever. See, it isn't just as simple as the here and now, what I can see and taste and touch now. This is bigger than that. 
The Bible teaches that we, what we, decisions we make in this life echo into tomorrow and into next week and next month and into eternity. So it matters. I want you to look at another passage that Jesus says. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48. Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter 9. Jesus is talking to his closest group of friends, his closest followers, and he says some sobering words that we'd like to cut out of the Bible. I'd like to not preach. Jesus says, Mark chapter 9, verse 43, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed then with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. And these are the words from gentle Jesus, kind, forgiving, loving Jesus reminds us that there's a lot more at stake in this life than what we want to think about. And he uses hyperbole and he says, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye, because he's trying to get our attention to say what you do with your eyes and your hands and your mouth and your beliefs matter. The sinful decisions we make today set the course for our eternal destiny in two places. We live in a kingdom of God where there is eternal life and joy and peace, or we live in a kingdom of darkness where there's eternal conscious punishment. We don't like to talk about this, but Jesus says hell is a real place where worms eat and don't ever die and fires burn and they're never quenched. He's using this Severe language to wake you and I up to the realities of our decisions that we'll live forever in a kingdom of light, starting now and going forever, or we will live today in a kingdom of darkness, starting now and going forever. So while you might say, who cares? Leave well enough alone. Who am I to judge? Que sera, sera. Our decisions today affect eternity, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you take seriously the fact that God is both loving, holy, and just, then we have to take sin in our own lives seriously. First and foremost, we have to look at our decisions, our actions, our words, our appetites, our lives, and say, what about me? Am I taking my sin seriously, and do I run to God for help and hope? And certainly that means we look at our loved ones and the people in our lives making sinful decisions and we can't just say, who cares, or disgusting. That's gross. That's stupid. Because I can't fix stupid, but I can love the lost. And love is what leads people out. Turn back in your Bibles to Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Go back to the Psalms. If you get there, you went too far. Ezekiel 33. I know this is heavy, but stick with me because against this backdrop of heavy, there's so much hope. There's so much goodness. 
And I think you could hear all of this and go, what kind of God is loving and just and kind and sends people to hell, gives them a conscious punishment forever? And the prophet Ezekiel answers that for us and tells us a little bit more about the character of God in Ezekiel 33, 11. He says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, God says. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? You see, God takes no pleasure. He loves us so much, though, that he gives us real choices here on earth. He loves us so much that he gives us real choices, and we can make choices for God or not God, love or darkness, Follow my appetite or follow the commands of God. I have a choice in how I live. And if you're a son or daughter of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're arrogantly making sinful decisions against God, while your eternity is secure, you are making your life and your life of your family and friends a living hell. You can do that. But you're making your life on earth a living hell. And for our loved ones who don't know Christ, they can ignore and defy, anyone can ignore or defy the living God. And if that's what you want here on earth, if you're hearing all this and go, I wouldn't want a God like this. If that's what you want here on earth, God loves you so much to give you what you want forever. It's harsh reality, but he's like, whatever you decide here on earth, whatever years you're here, you make a choice to say, I don't need you, God. I'm smarter. I'm better. I like my lifestyle. I choose my ways. I have enough education. I have enough money. I have enough. I have enough. I have enough. I don't need you, God. God says when you take your final breath, what did you want in life? You didn't want me in life. Well, then you don't get me in death. That's so sobering. I don't say that with delight at all. It's sobering and hard to hear. God takes no delight in this, but he does love us enough to give us real choices and say, you decide what kingdom you want to be a part of, a kingdom of light and love or a kingdom of death and darkness. So what do you do when those you love are lost in sinful, stupid decision-making? You don't say, I don't care. And you don't dismiss it and go, whatever they do, that's their life. That's such an easy, cheap way out. That's not love. And you don't go, ew, gross, disgusting. You don't get angry and dismiss people and go, I don't want to even be around you. I can't even associate with you. That's not love either. Instead, you lean into this awkward, uncomfortable, and bring love. So this is awesome. Turn to Luke 15. I, I really want you to turn there. Luke 15, 1 through 31. This is all very heavy, but here's Jesus bringing hope. Are you ready? Jesus is going to show us how to handle the awkward situation of the people that we love are lost in sin. Luke 15, verse 1 try to get this scene in your mind. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there and they mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Get this scene. 
Everyone is around Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors, rich and poor, religious and irreligious. They're all gathering around Jesus, but the spiritually superior people are there too. And they're looking at Jesus, running with sinners. He's, and they're making this comment. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, think of Jesus, holy, loving, and just Jesus, gentle and kind Jesus. Jesus who says heaven and hell are real places. And this is how the Bible describes him. People are looking at Jesus and go, this Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus knows this is how they're thinking. And he tells them three stories to show them the importance of love. He tells a story about a shepherd. The shepherd has a hundred sheep And when a shepherd has sheep, he loves the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he protects the sheep. They're his prize, possession. He has a hundred sheep, and one of the sheep gets lost. One goes away, gets stuck somewhere in darkness, making their own decisions. What does the shepherd do? Ah, who cares about the sheep? Gross. The things they're doing are wrong or evil. No. Leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost sheep. Verse six. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. And then he tells another story about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one of her coins, and she turns her house upside down, flips over everything because she's got to find one coin. And Jesus says in verse nine, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And if that wasn't enough, a shepherd going after a sheep, a woman going after her lost coin, he drives home the point with one last story, one of his most famous stories about a father. How much does a father love his two sons? And his two sons are different. They got different paths, different life careers, different life tracks, different individuals. And one son comes to him and says, Dad, give me cash and I'm gonna go and party. And the father gives him the cash, and the kid goes and parties, and there's this sense that he's exhausted all his pleasure, he's exhausted all his substances, all his sex, all his fun, and he finds himself in a living hell. And when he's in a living hell, he thinks about his dad, and he knows my dad is kind and compassionate. My dad loves me, and he returns to his father, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and a celebration. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? 
Jesus, why are you associated with those who are lost and are broken? He tells three stories with the same point. When the lost are loved, they can be found, and all of heaven rejoices. And that's what we have to keep in our minds. A sheep, a coin, a son, lost. You don't say, ah, they'll find themselves. That's their problem. Oh, there's probably another path, another way for them to get peace or joy. Let them do what they do. Live and let live. That's just the way our culture does things. So just let them do it. It's okay. I'll accept it. No. You love so much that you go and try to find. And when you find, you rejoice, and all of heaven rejoices. God rejoices. Why? Because he knows that the decisions we make here on earth echo throughout eternity. He knows that the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of life are at stake in every decision we make. And so he rejoices when lost coins and sheep and sons decide, I will come to the Father and not ignore when they're loved. He rejoices We don't ignore the lost and we don't get disgusted or bothered. We seek the lost in love. Heavy. Let me get practical with you for a few moments. Loving the lost requires seeing beyond the body to the soul. So hard for all of us. See, see, we look at the outside of everyone. We see what's presenting. We see the problem. We see the sinful choice, the sinful behavior, sinful actions. That's all this exterior thing that isn't necessarily the soul of a person. Our bodies do things that hurt our souls. You follow that? There are decisions we make in our bodies that hurt and impact our souls. And decisions we make in our bodies don't necessarily represent our true soul, who we are. This is what Jesus was able to do. He hung out with people who were broken and sinful because he saw beyond the outward presenting problem to the true heart of a person. And this is what gives a bigger picture focus. I mean, think about a toddler. If you watch a toddler learn how to eat, is that behavior that a toddler's doing? Or have you seen a toddler reach down his diaper and do things like with this poop? Like, is that moment, does that moment represent their total true self forever? I hope not, right? I mean, we all do. We all hope. How about a teenager? Are there things that teenagers do in their bodies that don't represent their true forever self? Absolutely. There are things our loved ones do, sinful decisions they make with their bodies that doesn't necessarily represent their soul. Maybe they're lost or blind or stuck in sin, but if you're focused on the body, the outside, the presenting behavior, and you don't see beyond the presenting behavior to the part of them that will live forever, you will do damage to souls. If you dismiss it and go, ah, que sera, sera. Or if you're disgusted, that damages souls. But if you're able to see beyond what the presenting issue is, and don't dismiss, but love, you have the opportunity to change the destiny of someone's life. Loving the lost requires grace and truth. It doesn't mean we ignore behavior, 
We try to understand behavior. We try to understand why someone's doing what they do. We don't excuse sinful behavior, but we try to explain it and understand it. Love requires grace and patience with people, realizing that the presenting behavior is just a snapshot of their lives. It's not the entire film. It's not everything. And so if one page or one snapshot is sinful or broken and you're not gracious and patient, you do damage. But love also doesn't mean you don't speak the truth. You must speak the truth. Truth is what sets people free. Truth about the reality of heaven and hell. Truth about the reality that if you want to make this decision, here's the deal. You can do that. You can choose that. But that decision will lead you into a living or eternal hell. I mean, I think of the prodigal's father. I mean, the son comes to him and he loves his son so much and goes, man, I know what my son's lifestyle is going to be if he takes this money and he goes and parties. He knows it, and yet he loves his son so much that says, son, do what you want to do. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to tell you this isn't right. I'm going to tell you you're going to end up in a living hell, but I love you so much that I'm going to let you go. But love, grace, and truth also sees the broken when they start coming back and realizing they're in a living hell. They don't say, well, clean up your own mess. You did this to yourself. No, what does he do? He doesn't clean up the guy first, say, hey, go take a shower, then I'll give you a robe and sandals. No, he says, put a robe and sandals on the kid. That's my son. And everyone rejoices. You see, loving people requires grace and truth. Can you make a home for people that are making sinful, stupid choices? A home means you are both gracious and truthful. A home for them to come to is not just grace. I will accept anything you do. And it's not just truth, blasting people with standards. It's both love, grace, truth. Loving the lost requires trust in the character of God and dependence on the Holy Spirit. There's so much pain on this topic. This is so hard, because all of us have people in our lives that we know that are struggling, and maybe they're Christians that are struggling, and maybe they're non-Christians that are struggling. This is painful, this is hard. We can't ignore it, and we can't be disgusted by it. We have to lean in. But if you love with grace and truth, and nothing seems to change, when all hope is lost, what do you do? You remember Ezekiel thirty three eleven that says God does not, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but invites people to turn. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. It breaks God's heart that your friend, your loved one is lost and stuck in sin more than it breaks yours. He loves in an infinite way, so much so that he would send his only son to die for your lost friend or loved one. He loves them too. And so you trust in the character of God when you're in these situations and you feel like all hope is lost. You run to the character of God and you ask the spirit of God to help you know what to do. Because if someone in your life is lost, it's easy to think you know how to lead them out, but God's a better leader than you. And so you go to God and you say, what should I say? What should I do? What should I not say? What should I not do? And on a regular, daily, moment by moment, you talk to him and depend on him and follow his lead. And he will give you the grace you need to do 
what he calls you to do. But at the end of the day, here's what I fall on all the time. God's standard of love and justice is the best standard. And I can trust him that he will always be loving and just with my loved ones. He always will be. I can trust him. I can't fix stupid, but I can love the lost. You know, I'm the one sheep. I'm the lost coin. I'm the son who runs away. You're the lost sheep. You're the lost coin. You're the son, the daughter, who turns their back on their father. And our dad loves us so much that he runs to us in the person of Christ. And he can empower you and me to do the same. I want to be a part of a church that doesn't say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Let live, do what you want. You do you, I'll do me. That's not love. And I don't want to be a part of a church that's disgusted or bothered or turned off by people that are struggling. I think love is this middle spot where both grace and truth meet and we have an opportunity to remind people that the decisions they make today impact tomorrow and impact eternity and heaven and hell are real places. We have to take this seriously. Would you pray with me? So hard, God. These are difficult topics because all of us are struggling with this. All of us are in awkward situations. All of us find ourselves frustrated by the decisions other people make. We find ourselves sometimes disgusted, impatient. We find ourselves taking the easy path. Uh, I'll just ignore it and hope it goes away. But those who are lost require love. So pour love into us that we might pour love into others. Pour grace into us that we might hand it out to others. Show us the truth that we might show others the truth. Do what we can't do in and of ourselves. Help us. And God, when we're not sure or we feel completely hopeless and we're struggling deeply, Help us to fall in your character. You are always just and true in all your ways, loving and kind in every moment. We count on your justice and your love because there's no better justice and no better love than yours. We trust you in Jesus' name, amen.